All right. Hi, everybody. My name is Luke Thomas, and uh, what is this? This is episode, I think, 59 of my live chat. Thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. I am one half of the hosting duo for Morning Combat, which airs Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but today is just my little podcast that I do with each of you. Please give the video a thumbs up, hit that subscribe button, and uh, what else? I don't know. We'll have to get things sorted. I haven't done one in 2021. It's the first one actually in a couple of weeks because all of the holidays kind of fell on a schedule that they knocked them out, but we're back. We are back, ready to go. Um, yeah, so without further ado, let's get this party started, shall we? All right, there you have it. Uh, okay, so if you're new here, if this is something you've not uh, watched before, I usually put up a thread in the community tab over here on youtube.com slash morning combat. There's a, so there's a video tab, there's a home tab, there's a community tab. I'll put up a question thread, usually around 20, 24 hours in advance, and people fill that up. And then whatever you guys select, I typically go with that. I will edit on occasion uh, or skip questions that are you know asked in bad faith or uh, been over before or something like that. But in general, if you guys ask it, that's what I'll get to. Today, I just want to be clear about something. Obviously, there was the uh, terrible assault on the nation's capital, the actual building itself, although I suppose in more ways than one, just the nation's capital. Um, there will probably be some political talk today. Listen, let me reason with you if I can. I'm not asking you to watch. If that is something that you feel like you don't want to see, even if you agree with me, fine. Please don't watch today. If that's something you feel like you don't want to see because you don't care about my opinion as it relates to those matters, that's okay. No, no harm, no foul. But what I don't want to see is somebody commenting, well, I come here for um, sports opinions. There will be sports opinions, MMA opinions here, certainly. I will have plenty of that to get to today. But I suspect there will be a fair bit of things related to that incredible incident yesterday, just two miles down the road from where I live. And if that's something you don't want to hear, this is your opportunity to just go. There'll be another live chat in a week. Um, there'll be other portions of this live chat you could get to later, but don't be the guy or the lady who sticks around and then bitches about what it is going to be today. Um, you have been warned, so no excuses. Okay. Uh, I understand that, you know, if that became a constant thing you didn't want to see, uh, that's fine. I've tried to dial it back as I move this from my personal channel over to morning combat. Um, you know, I'm thinking about some other things I might do. Uh, I have a Patreon that's sort of sitting dormant. I might kick that into high gear. I have a Substack that's sitting dormant. I might kick that into high gear to sort of like really separate the content. Um, I'm thinking about those things. That's a you know totally legitimate concern over the long haul. But for today, as today's episode uh, is being considered, you are being warned. This is your opportunity. If that's not the kind of content for whatever your reason may be, that you don't want to hear, okay, I take no issue with it. People like what they like. They want to hear what they want to hear. They don't what they don't. Just don't claim you came here and you got bamboozled because you didn't. Mm. That coffee is hot as balls. All right. Let's get to your questions if we can. Make sure everything is up and running. Seems that way. Seems pretty good. Uh, okay. All right, well, with that in mind, let's uh, move on to the questions. And again, morningcombat.com. I would link to the community tab, but it doesn't let me 
can't outright link to it, which is an unfortunate way that the thing works, but that is the way that it works. So, okay. Let's see. Okay. Again, you've been warned. All right. First question. Um, thoughts on Trump, Twitter, and Facebook ban and what sort of precedent that sets for social media but allowing the left to say anything like, quote, protests don't need to be peaceful in relation to Antifa and BLM protests. Although Trump may have been rightly banned, do you understand why people are angry at one rule for one person and another rule for another person? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is a serious, serious problem that we have. This is a, well, it's, a, it's the intersection of a number of different problems. In fact, I had a very, very small, he only, only replied one time, I had a bit of a back and forth with, when I say bit, I mean quite literally just one, uh, one direction, one the other, but with Edward Snowden. Edward Snowden today was on Twitter noting that we had sort of crossed into a new t um, threshold of digital media, I don't, know if he, I don't know if he quite labeled it censorship, I forget the exact wording that he had used, but the space where, you know, now Facebook was, at least for two weeks, you know, deplatforming the President of the United States, that seems to be an important milestone for better or for worse, I think he's probably right in that sense. Um, yes, uh, so I certainly understand, I mean, he, uh, this, is, this is a real problem um, that the tech companies have to deal with. And I do not envy their situation. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here, right? So like, let's say you're Facebook, why would you want to do this, right? So their argument was, at least in terms of the president, the argument that they put forward was that they uh, wanted to keep it banned, or at least, you know, suspended, until there is a peaceful transfer of power on January 20th. And at that point, they would then open it back up. And the argument would be that they can't in good conscience allow him, given the events yesterday and his participation, to the extent you want to, where you want to put that, in them, um, that they could not in good conscience allow him to have access to his account to do those kinds of things on his on their platform. And there's some real Section 230 liability there, right? Like if you if a guy does what he did yesterday, which was uh, even if he didn't from a from well, I guess you could say from some of his tweets he had, but certainly after the fact taking real ownership over the, I mean, ne nearly celebratory at what had happened. Um, and that, you know, he, he is rightly being considered as a contributing and major, if not the contributing factor to what had happened ultimately over in the Capitol. Uh, their argument is, you know, I think what they might be concerned is, is if you know someone did that, then you ban them for a time, a day or two, and then you unban them and they produce something else similar you have real Section 230 liability at that point, right? Because it's you're supposed to be shielded from many of those things um, based on the way in which it is worded. But if you knowingly have reason to believe that someone has done something wrong and then you can allow them to keep doing it even after a ban, what is the point of Section 230 um, uh, uh, immunity, essentially? So there's that problem. But that's not really not what you're getting at. What you're getting at is when you have tech censorship, it's going to be divided unevenly. And that is just a, that's just a fact. That's just an absolute total fact. There's really no getting around that. I mean, um, part of the reason why you need to be very careful about content curation and when it, when you, if, if, let's say you were just sort of getting rid of bots, right? We could all agree that that would be content curation more than censorship. But even then, you know, you have to be careful about those sorts of things because um, 
you are going to cut out the voices of the marginalized and of voices that don't necessarily fit into the Overton window of acceptability, but might be very critical voices that need to be heard for the larger perspective to be had or for those people's, not so much right, but um, the value that they could bring to the conversation. You will stifle some of those in an effort to control various forms of speech. And when you begin to control various forms of speech, your political considerations will probably be brought to bear. It's hard to divorce the two. So you'll get voices that need to be heard on either side that won't be. And two, it'll be this uneven distribution of censorship or curation. That's a serious, serious problem. It's a very serious problem, and I don't know exactly what the answer to that is. I I know the Rand Corporation has a big study on disinformation. I just started reading it today because I'm trying to better understand some of these problems. Um, Here's what I would say. I think certainly I, I would argue that it's a little bit difficult to get ruffled about a temporary suspension of the president's accounts, either for Twitter or for Facebook. I mean, it was certainly unwise to ask him to speak afterwards if he is going to continue to repeat total falsehoods about the election and then, frankly, not really take ownership over what happened but nearly, nearly gloat about it, Um, especially in the wake of four people dying here in the city yesterday, not just the one former Air Force veteran, but there was three other ones as well, including multiple injuries to the Park Police and the MP, uh, 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 the D.C. Police. So I think a temporary suspension is understood and I think um, valuable. But beyond that, you begin to get into some real difficult situations. The the best that I can tell you is two things. One, um, I completely am sympathetic to the idea that once you tell tech companies it is okay to begin to censor content that they feel is either in bad faith, false, uh, or not in alignment with their values as it states in their terms of service. Uh, while they may be legally allowed to do that sort of thing, it's a private entity, there are seriously damaging social consequences to it, and more to the point, some of the damages I just outlined before are going to happen, right? You're going to exclude voices that need to be heard, um, and you're going to have a total imbalance politically about how these things are handed out. I think that that is true. The problem with that argument to me is not that it is false. It is quite obviously very true. Uh, And no matter who is dictating on the platform and also what counts as misinformation, right? Because certainly you guys know my political affiliations. I certainly lean to the left, but I'm also of the belief that the left-wing fascination, frankly, fever dreams about Russia's involvement in uh, various crimes and the the Trump administration's relationship to them are totally overstated. Um, not that there's nothing to be said for it, but the way in which, if you watch MSNBC, you would think that um, I mean, the, the amount of disinformation that they spew is, is, is quite clear. Um, here's the problem. If you live in a world where you don't want to have any tech censorship, you want to let people have what they have because you fear that the blowback and the consequences would be worse, You, the harm you would have from not having enough voices be heard, um, the political uh, unevenness in terms of the curation, all of those things. If the solution to that is to not have any censorship whatsoever, any curation, again, aside from bots or multiple accounts or you know something, just total housekeeping, fine. You are solving the problem that those issues would bring up. Here's what you're not solving. You are not solving the problem of at some point there's going to be clear, total 
disinformation from bad faith actors or people just spreading utterly false information and it is billowing out into the media ecosystem in ways that the pollution would be hard to overstate. I mean, we are living in a world where we had a bunch of people, and it's not merely from Facebook groups or WhatsApp or YouTube videos. Certainly there is some culpability at the top of the food chain from the president to the uh, Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz and 100-plus congressmen you know, buying into a demonstrable lie, spreading it, giving oxygen to it. But we are living in an age where there is an extraordinary amount of deep, profound, socially harmful mis- and disinformation. And people are believing it. And it is having real-world, actionable consequences of the violent sort. That is a major problem. I am perfectly willing to agree, totally willing to agree, that tech censorship will result in the muzzling of critically important voices. No doubt about it. But those people who are really hyper-focused on that consideration often have no idea what to say or even have glib attitudes about when you create a situation where you don't want to have any tech oversight in opinion that you now give fertile ground to complete disinformation campaigns just absolutely spewing into the atmosphere. What do we or what do we do about that? I mean, America on, on many sides, this is true, but we are awash in this kind of thing. It feels to me like if you want to cry reasonably about tech censorship, you should also have some kind of answer for what it means to have a society polluted with conspiracy theories, lies, misinformation, half-truths from bad actors and even good-faith ones spreading it just the same. And I don't propose that the solutions are easy, but I do propose that the problems are real. The only thing that I have ever been able to come up with, because I am certainly no scholar of these issues, is that if there were 10 Facebooks and 3 Instagrams and 5 Twitters, this would be much less of an issue. It goes unnoticed that... uh, Tech is now much more consolidated than it used to be. It used to be you could fire up your own blog that could be hosted on Blogspot, but many other places, Google would index it. You could find it through search. And it was this moment of, I won't say total expression, but much more wide expression than you have today where you are very much a slave to platforms because those pl- I mean, there is no real competitor to YouTube. Vimeo is not a competitor. So either you're going to be on YouTube or you're not, right? You're going to, either you're going to be on Twitter or you're not. Um, so you have a variety of platforms in that sense, but they're not meaningfully competitors to one another. They offer sort of different services along the way. Maybe you could regulate them like utilities. That would be another thing that you could do. I mean, there's a, there's a variety of answers, but to me, tech consolidation is a major, major problem here. And I am perfectly willing to accept and believe that censorship is a serious problem and that one side would suffer the consequences much more than the other side. I totally agree. But you have also got to meet these people halfway and say, well, great, what, great. Now, what are we going to do about people spreading QAnon nonsense? What are we going to do about that? Um, and if you just have an answer for one of the problems, you don't have an answer for the problem. Uh, which side do you find more hypocritical? Trump's promotion of law and order, then his supporters proceed to do what they did in D.C., or the left making headlines like, Fiery, mostly peaceful protesters? I'm not sure what that means. 
and AOC and Chris Cuomo saying protests don't have to be peaceful. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't, I don't pay attention to what the Cuomos say um, at all. I don't know which one you're referencing with um, uh, AOC, so I, I don't know that I'll be able to weigh in on that. Or the left making headlines like fiery, mostly peaceful protests. I think what you're asking is something similar to the last one, which is at what point is protests and rioting um, justified? Uh, and what's the line between them? Uh, the only thing I'll say to that effect is, um, I mean, here's what I would say. Anytime a society has a noteworthy amount of political violence, which we do, right? Either you want to call it the June Black Lives Matter protests, um, political instability through protesting or rioting. There's a little bit of both there, certainly. Uh, or what you saw yesterday, you have some serious questions to ask about what's happening underneath that that is giving rise to those considerations. Now, you could look at either one and um, uh, there might be some overlap, but... Uh, Certainly what I would argue is, um, yesterday, it is very easy, and certainly I was very angry yesterday. I think a lot of you probably were too, no matter what your political affiliation is, just watching these vandals go through and destroy a, uh, or, you know, certainly deface and vandalize, um, you know, the Capitol building. But you really have to ask yourself, why is it that they... Uh, that that conspiracy theories have taken such a hold in their lives. What is going on in their lives that they feel like they're that disenfranchised? What is giving rise to their anger that they want to go and trash the place? I mean, it almost looked like uh, a U.S. embassy that had been overrun by a foreign. Well, I shouldn't say foreign. The U.S. would be the foreign one that had been that, that the foreign U.S. embassy had been overrun by the home population or something. Right? I mean, that's what it would look like. But these were all Americans. I mean, there may have been a Canadian or something mixed in there. But in general, these were all Americans. You know, to, to feel that disconnected from um, the, the levers of power that are supposed to guide uh, your life and um, in many ways work for you, I think it says a lot. <laughs> I think it says a lot. And here's what I mean. You know, if you went in there and you ransacked that building, you deserve to be arrested and prosecuted to the fullest extent of the law. But what I don't want to see is some kind of Abu Ghraib situation where what we're going to do is we're going to arrest and vilify just the people who exacted the torture on those prisoners and not ask about where that policy for torture came from. In a very similar way here, all of the people who gave oxygen to those folks such that they want to take up arms essentially in that way they all deserve to have, uh, they all deserve to be prosecuted as well. But getting back to the larger question here is, um, you never condone violence, and you certainly never condone um, what happened yesterday. I, I, I want to be very clear about that. I certainly am not. But it is wrong to not ask about what grievances these people hold that might compel them to act that may or may not, but may be legitimate. We went over this with terrorism 
during 9-11 and everyone wanted to make it about like, well, they hate us for our freedoms, which is a very simplistic way of dodging that maybe, just maybe, yes, these people are deranged religious lunatics, of course. Uh, there's no denying it. But there might be a question to be asked about to what extent U.S. imperialism in this region has uh, resulted in this kind of blowback and the production of these kinds of, uh, or given oxygen to these kinds of groups that want to then harm us. doesn't mean that you don't prosecute these people to the full extent of the law and put two bullets on their fucking forehead when you find them. It's not the point. The point is, are there bigger questions we could be asking about why these problems are emerging in the first place that are coming and heading our way? Similarly with the Black Lives Matter protests, people want to just sort of say, this is just some sort of, like, you know, crazy, uh, uh, you know, left-wing agenda run amok. All right, there might be certainly parts of it. I don't I don't deny that that's certainly true, and there might be some criminalist elements of it, of, of course. Like at any kind of movement, there's going to be fringes and parts of it you don't care for. But maybe, just maybe, you know, <laughs> there might be something to be said about police accountability and the way in which African Americans are treated. And maybe, just maybe, there might be something to be said about their station in life and how the government has failed them. And maybe, just maybe... For the folks who were there yesterday, I mean, did you notice a common bond? That one person who was killed was a woman, but these were largely young-ish men, men in their 30s. I suspect that many of them are disaffected. I suspect many of them don't have deep social bonds. I suspect many of them um, uh, uh, are... Uh, there was one lawyer I saw who who had been you know uh, part of it, but in general, these are probably guys who are not careerist in that way. These are disaffected people, and they might be disaffected because there's been structural elements in society that have contributed to that all the way through. I don't think it's crazy to say you can lock them up for being whatever that they did and also say, if you've got this much political instability and violence in your country, something is wrong other than just the violence itself. Something is deeply, deeply wrong. There are people that are are hurting, uh, and large swaths of these communities feel totally disconnected. I mean, is there even a shared American identity anymore? I mean, look at the iconography that you see during Black Lives Matter protests and then this, and they're just totally divorced from one another. They don't look anything alike. Uh, there's no shared sense of... Um, I mean, I guess the, this one you saw yesterday had kind of co-opted sort of 1776 language, but, you know, they just they don't share anything. There's, 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 there's no overlap whatsoever. Um, that's dangerous. That is scary. That is frightening. And listen, I'm not here to say that um, I agree with the call. I mean, you guys know what I agree with and for the most part what I don't. I don't really agree with anything that those people on the right, in terms of like their policy prescriptions to fix things in their life, would say. Uh, I, I don't equate burning a target with storming the Capitol building. I, I don't I don't think these are equivalent things. Sorry, I don't. And there's more to be said for that. Certainly, there's more many more protests that resulted, uh, you know, widespread pushback socially that resulted in aggregately much more violence on one side than the other and sort of uh, property damage, fine. But, you know, that was an assault on a democratic process that was intended to be a part of a peaceful transfer of power. That is fucking scary. That is super scary. Democracy is insanely fragile, and our institutions are barely capable of handling the job through even the tiniest bit of pressure of maintaining itself. Very, very, very fragile. Uh, I don't put that on par with um, individual property, uh, private property destruction, even though I, I, I recognize that can wreck people's lives, and it has, small business owners and the like. 
Um, neither is good. But, you know, that assault on democracy yesterday, holy fuck. Holy fuck, man. That, I've never seen anything like that in my life. That is terrifying. So, um, this whole thing, like it's both sides. Each side has, I think, uh, reckoning that has to happen. Um, and each side probably has some legitimate grievances in a larger perspective, not so much about the individual acts yesterday, but in the larger perspective about what has gone wrong in their lives, what has given rise to people such that they find, you know, uh, a total charlatan like Ted Cruz, a valuable ally or something, right? What has gone wrong? Something has gone wrong long before they decided to make those choices. Um, so we can talk about information pipelines. We can talk about uh, negligent elected leaders, and we can talk about uh, you know the police response yesterday. I don't know what the fuck that was. We can talk about these individual moments uh, and and actors and part of the infrastructure of the problem. But there is a deeper American problem that is happening where, you know, if people who ostensibly call themselves patriots and on some level love the country that they come from feel a sense of joy, and I did see this on certain parts, feel a sense of joy and relief in trashing the very institution that is supposed to be, I realize it has failed in many ways, but supposed to be the uh, hollowed, hollowed grounds by which problems are solved. Boy, there is a huge problem underlying that. A huge problem. The last thing I'll say on this is, as somebody who finds Donald Trump an utterly repellent, odious, I mean, what a vandal of democracy he is. Jesus Christ, he should be removed from office and prosecuted immediately. But the one thing I will say, uh, and this was a lesson people had to learn from Hugo Chavez in Venezuela, is if you just go after him, you are not solving the problem. You are not solving the problem. He is a function of a much deeper issue. He is the he is the outgrowth. He is the manifestation of that. And you can go after him all you want, but that's not going to solve the problem. If you want to solve the problem, I think that you know leads to the kinds of instability that we're seeing. You have to take up. You have to materially improve people's lives. <laughs> You have to improve people's lives. You have to have a recommitment to civil rights. You have to find um, and create an economy that gives uh, meaning and purpose um, and uh, valuable work to young men. Um, and I say young men because women, you know, they're outpacing men in college. Um, they're, I think, uh, they're, they're getting hired for um, the rate of, I think... Um, Women are getting hired at 18% at a higher clip than men these days. I'm not so much worried about them at this stage. And you might be asking, well, shouldn't you worry about both? Right. Prisons are 90% men, both at the federal and at the state level. I mean, a society functions when the men are um, um, much more likely to work than they are to take up arms because they feel like they can't find work or whatever other grievance that they might have, legitimate or otherwise. So... To me, this is a major, major wake-up call about so many different things, about our information pipeline, about our shared American identity, about you know policing of uh, important pieces of democratic infrastructure, about the fragility of institutions. I mean, I could go on and on, 
But I just hope folks understand it's very, very easy, and it turns people off when protests turn into riots and riots turn into violence or into mobs. And you want to say, oh, well, these just must be, you know, crazy actors. Well, maybe they are individually, and certainly you would want to prosecute people who break the law. But in, in either case, in either case, they are, they are telling you, they are telling you something is wrong. The growth and popularity of Donald Trump to me is inc- incomprehensible other than that 70 million plus voter for him tells you that something is up in America that he has attended to that the other side has not. Uh, and figuring out what that is and materially improving people's lives all the way through reduces violence. It reduces political instability. It reduces political violence. Um, we, have to, we have to find a way, if at all possible at this stage, to get back to that. All right. Put a stamp on that for just a second, or a pin in that for just a second. I was so fucking angry yesterday. Less so today, but... I was sitting here right here watching this monitor. I had my window open right here, and it was just siren after siren after siren. A friend of mine lives over on Capitol Hill. He and his wife had to flee their home because there were all those... Um, what do you want to call them? Uh, rioters, whatever. Uh, marching through the, not marching, but like sort of ro- teeming and, and roaming the streets. And he said there was like explosions going off and shit. Like it was just crazy. So they went over to, um, they went over to Northern Virginia and then stayed there for the curfew. It was a bad day yesterday. It was a bad day. All right. CBS asked me to do this and I told them no. Uh, but he asks, who is the title holder by the end of 2021 in each weight division? I mean, how could anyone possibly know that? <laughs> I, I sort of hate these questions because Brian Campbell and I debate this all the time. He wants to do stuff like this. And I understand the argument because, listen, I've been in MMA media for, what, 15 years at this point, 16? Something like that. Uh, on one level or the other. And there's always these questions. Like, you know, uh, let's sort of just sort of speculate for fun about who at the end of the year is going to be doing X or Y or blah, you know. And to me, it's like, I mean, there's some room for prediction. We did that on Wednesday's show. So we're talking about, like, what we think would be the big thing. Because if you, what's the best way to make a prediction? It's to see what has already happened in the past, process the information, and try to see where that that, that trajectory might be headed. You might be right or wrong, but there is some space for that, I think, right? And these ones, they don't mean anything, right? But at the other time, it's like, dude, are we just jacking off in the audience's face, like, to me, it's to me, it's everyone does it. So one, just as just as a just as a differentiator, I don't want MK to do the same things that everybody else does. And part of it is like, who the fuck knows? Who the fuck knows, man? I don't know who's going to get popped or injured or what fights are going to get made. There's no way to know. There's no way to know. So it's a fine question. People ask it all the time. I'm Mister. Maybe I'm Mister. No fun, you know. And I should be answering it, but I always feel like it's. I don't want to answer questions. I mean, I'd rather be wrong than be disingenuous, and I feel like I'd be both probably doing that, and it just doesn't feel right. What happened to the paid questions? And then someone asked about DC. I'll skip DC. But uh, what happened to the paid questions? So that was a function of my personal channel. Um, we don't really do that here, I don't think. I don't know of a better way to replicate that for this channel. If you've got a good idea, by all means, let me know. LukeThomasNews at gmail.com. But... Um, I don't know. I don't know what to do about that because that was a really easy way to like, you know, skip the queue if you wanted to. It made, I, I could make good money from that. But um, 
I don't know what the best I don't know what the I don't know what the answer to that would be. Do you think Jones versus Izzy will be boring considering the stylistic matchup and how you see the UL versus Rumble going? I don't think Jones versus Izzy will be boring. Because Izzy to me can fight either way. He can counterfight or he can fight going forward. John to me, I don't know that I would call him a counterfighter. I have to think about this for a second. But John, if you notice, just generally, he's going to get better as the fight goes along, at least in his more recent phase. Right, so if you go and look at the Anthony Smith fight, or in particular, like the um, what was the last fight he had against Dominic Reyes? So in those fights, you know, he was he he would he would he would you know he take his pound of flesh early on, but then he'd really wait 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 because he he understands what it's like to fight twenty five minutes. I mean, he's maybe of anybody of currently fighting in the UFC, he might know what twenty five minutes asks of you, both you know um, from a cardiovascular standpoint to a strategic standpoint, all the spaces in between, he might know that better than anybody. And so I think he wants to use that to his great effect, uh, and he has. I, again, I think if you want to ask why is John still successful, not what, not, not what he did previously, but like uh, today, how does he fight? To me, his defense is tremendous. I saw Corey Anderson be like, his defense is not good. I don't know why he would say that. His defense is excellent. Uh, his offense to me is good, but not what it once was. That, that to me, there's a bit of a, a drop-off there. Um, in part because the game has sort of caught up. In, in any case, so the question is like, how much would Izzy press the issue early? Right? How do you beat a guy like John who has good defense, who can be conservative early, wait until the fight gets a little bit longer, where you start to get a little bit tired and not quite having the same zip and pop, and that's when he really starts to leverage some of his strengths. That's a very hard guy to beat. John has extremely high fight IQ. He's got good cardio. He's got sensational defense. And he understands 25 minutes very well. It would be up to Izzy to change some of that dynamic. And I think he could. Uh, but how he would do it, that's a really interesting question. Would you really press the action early like Dominic did? Or would you also try and wait and then match him later when he's got that more intensity and then and then take that away from him there? It's an interesting question. Yoel uh, versus Rumble. Here's the thing about that. It's like, what is Rumble going to look like? Like the same Rumble that fought DC the first or, you know, relatively the second time? Okay. That'll be interesting. But like, dude, Yoel's got a rock chin, you know? He's still athletic as shit. And... Um, you know, he's patient. He can fight a little bit more two ways than he used to, but if you go back and watch the Luke Rockhold fight, you know, he was just defense, 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 offense. Defense, 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 wait, 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 offense. Or offense, then wait. I mean, he was never doing offense and defense. It was never slip and go. It was always slip and wait. Or or block, 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 and wait. And then this time it was against um, uh, Costa. It was a little bit more back and forth, maybe out of necessity. Anyway, I, I don't know. Uh, both guys kind of aren't built for the long haul, but maybe Yoel a little bit better. He didn't gas all that bad, I thought, in the Costa fight. So I might slightly lean Yoel because he seems like more of a known product. But, you know, Rumble, I mean, you want to count him out? Good luck. Wouldn't recommend that. You got a Twitter reply from Edward Snowden. I did. What did he mean by, quote, recognizing consequence is distinct from uh, contesting propriety? 
uh, my th- I, I, you'd have to ask him to be clear, but my read on that is is we were talking about you know whether or not there was Facebook was justified in um, banning the president for up to two weeks, and uh, he 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 did not seem to think that it was prudent that they did, or that he you know he was troubled by it in some way. Again, there's a lot of missing pieces of information here. I don't I don't want to say that I understand fully his position because I do not. Um, but I sort of said, like, what would you what would you have them do? Like a day, two days? I mean, the guy contributed to this awful moment. Um, he clearly is. He could do this again in the next 13 days. They want to see a peaceful transfer of power, which is one of the key sort of markers of stable democracy. What would you have them do? And the, my read on that is. He's not saying that, um, my read is that, you know, he understands maybe perhaps the impulse and the desire for that, but that there's, there's negative consequences that come from that and that, you know, you cross the Rubicon at that point, uh, I think in his mind by doing certain things like that, it's an understandable impulse, certainly after yesterday, but that, that kind of censorship, that kind of tech um, do you want to use the word uh, you know, hegemonic behavior? Maybe that that carries its own set of risks, which I think is right. I think is right. I think is totally right. It's right. It's very, very right. Um, but you know, it, 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 the lack of action towards disinformation it also carries risks and serious social harm, demonstrable social harm. I would like to see an equal amount of emphasis or some fucking kind of emphasis placed on the social harm that comes from that they're so focused about censorship rightly because that's good i mean i mean here was the thing i didn't get about yesterday about these fucking guys who did what they did yesterday it's like y'all know what's going to happen here right like i'm not in any way suggesting that this is good maybe some of it is maybe some of it isn't i don't know i'm just telling you what's inevitable (laughs) especially under a biden administration oh my god dude the fbi is going to be all over these people and these QAnon groups and any kind of organized any kind of organized society that they have, FBI is going to be infiltrating them and on them like white on rice. They're going to be listening in on phone calls if they already don't, but much more than they used to. They're going to have people pretend to be, you know, um, I'm Captain Maga, and they're going to be at your meetings. You just invited them um, in. I mean, they, they were going to do what they were going to do before, but I mean, you opened the door for them to come on in and totally uh, monitor and be a part of everything you were doing in ways that you never, ever anticipated. I mean, I was the, that was the thing I did not get. It's like, I, you know, listen, mob violence is really, really rational. Okay, fine. But Jesus, the blowback on that one is going to be substantial. I don't know how many people they're going to round up and then prosecute for. I tend to think probably not that many. But in terms of, the, um, in terms of using state surveillance and infiltration, through law enforcement to monitor their behavior, it is going to be ratcheted up times 10 going forward. So congratulations. If you were paranoid about the government before, (laughs) I mean, it's about to get a billion times worse for those folks. Good job. Good job. What are your thoughts about potentially splitting the country up? That's so far. I don't know. Um, I'm currently reading your book recommendation, The Curse of Bigness. I was wondering if it would be possible for you to make a reading list of your recommendations on a range of topics 
that interest you. I did make one on anti-doping. I put it on my Instagram. But this one, this is okay. Let me let me tell you guys where I'm at currently in my career. Okay. What I have discovered is I have been in a bit of a rut, and I couldn't quite figure out why, but I think I have now. I just don't know how to solve it. So I am endlessly um, happy with morning combat. It's the maybe maybe one of the best things I've ever done. Truly, I mean that. Uh, Brian Campbell is the best partner I could have ever asked for. Showtime, CBS Sports, you know. For most of my MMA career, I was working in places that did not believe in my vision or what I thought I had to contribute to the place. But that's not the case now. In fact, far from it. They are they are just the most amazing people to work with. And if I, God forbid, I do, but if I died tomorrow, you know, I, I in many ways got to do what I wanted and be a part of an experience that I want to be a part of. And MK Sales, they're, they're up and we're full steam ahead wherever we're headed. But I've also noticed that, like, for me personally, I have to have an individual outlet, however small, to um, for individual forms of expression. This live chat is kind of an example of that. I mean, I talk about things on this live chat, hence the first 30 minutes, that I would never talk about on MK proper, at least not very much. And so i got to have an outlet for myself. It doesn't have to be as big or competing. In fact, that's one of the major problems. I could just go do individual videos that I was doing before with SiriusXM, just uploaded to my personal channel, but there would begin to be overlap there with MK that, not the Sunday evening digest, but, um, you know, day-to-day kind of a thing. I, I wouldn't want to do that. I think once in a while, it's probably no big deal, but all the time would be would be much more of a problem. And so how do I solve that problem? One of them is I don't have to. My contract states I don't have to, but if I wanted to, I could write for CBS Sports. That's one. I could find a different way to get my YouTube channel going again, but that's been a little bit difficult because the other way to do that is with very labor-intensive videos, and um, that's been hard for me to get that off the ground. The other part is I'm trying to like recommit to my fitness, and that takes up a lot of the time, sort of a choice between the two. And the other one is like I could do on my own Substack, and then the other one is I could do my own uh, Patreon. If I was doing my own Patreon, I could do my own videos. I could do a lot of stuff. It would just be behind a paywall. I don't know which way to go, but I need to do one of them. I need to do one of them. I got to figure out what that is. If you have any ideas about what you'd prefer, um, I'm not really in the Patreon business for the money, but more that Substack kind of just makes you write. You can do videos and stuff, but it more just makes you write. Patreon allows you to do anything. I could post photos, videos, individual live chats, um, you know, written stuff there too. It just gives you a wider array of options. Um, that, you know, again, I don't need, I mean, the money would be fine, but I don't, I wouldn't use it as a way to do that. But the other part is, you know, what if something happened and I lost my job tomorrow? Would I have the enough infrastructure built where I could, you know, replicate most of my earnings? If I had a Patreon and a YouTube channel, um, I could do that. So, you know, again, everything's fine at CBS. Please don't misunderstand me. It's the best thing I've ever done, but you always got to think about your future and you have to take care of yourself. And so, those are things that I'm kind of considering right now. If you have a preference about which direction you would like me to go, seriously, I, I would I would really value your input because I'm in a bit of a creative rut and I'm trying to figure out what that is as I get messages from my producer. All right. What sells more pay-per-views? Spence versus Crawford or Garcia versus Davis? Garcia versus Davis. Uh, Spence versus Crawford does extremely well, 
and is certainly a reward for the um, the diehards. And I think Spence obviously is a legitimate pay per view draw. I don't know that Crawford is uh, number one. Number two, Garcia is more popular than all of them, and Davis is not the um, pay-per-view star that Spence is yet, but he's on his way and is more of an attraction than Crawford. So if you wanted to say what's a better fight, different consideration. If you want to say what's more important, different consideration. If you want to say what does better from a commercial standpoint, I would very much argue Garcia versus Davis. Please rank in order of most likely to occur if Connor becomes champion. One. There's more than these. He'll defend his belt regularly. Two. He'll use champ status as leverage for outside MMA activities. Let's say a fight with Pacquiao. Three. Hold up the division as he attempts to negotiate a better contract. Four. Retire. Five. Go for welterweight. Got to go for welterweight, right? Got to go for welterweight. He's always thinking big. Especially if like Gilbert, well, if Gilbert Burns wins, that's a tough fight for Connor. But um, Kamaru is too. But if somehow he, I mean, I'm telling you, if Jorge had beaten Kamaru, that would have been big. That would have been big for Connor. Uh, in your opinion, yes, is word, the word word, the best slang term from the 90s? It can be used as a question, an exclamation, and it works even if you don't know what to say. It's certainly one of the more versatile words. Uh, but you know what was my favorite word back in the day was blicky, <laughs> which we used to describe like guns, like, oh, he's got blickies, you know, on him. But then it sort of became sort of a, sort of a catch-all for like thing. It's like, oh, that blicky over there. I always liked that word. I don't know, DC thing, I guess. Not really a question, but I remember you and BC having trouble pronouncing... Ryzen, Risen's name. By the off chance you give a fuck, yes I do, even though you don't think I do. It's pronounced like Rising without the G since Japan is land of the rising sun. Their name even has the Z if you look closely. So is it Rising or Ryzen? Like Ryzen. Still doesn't quite tell me what I need to know, but it gets there. Uh, my doorbell just rang, you might have heard it. Hi, Luke. I'm starting to get into lifting. Was wondering if you had any advice or resources. Also, what's the membership rate at the front yard gym? It's free, player. You just got to come when the doors are open, which is not very often because it's cold as fuck outside. Um, so I've been going. So here's my rule. If it's 50 degrees or more, I'll lift outside. Anything sub 50, it's hard to stay warm, which is, that's what you, I mean, the whole, it's not like you couldn't be mentally tough and do it. The problem is if you're having trouble staying warm, that's when you're going to get injuries. It's really kind of the issue there. So at 50 plus, 60 is like perfect. 70 plus is like, oh man, um, that's really amazing. But 50 is good enough. If I can get 51, 52, I'm all right. Um, okay, best information to do this. I've said this before. Uh, okay, I'll make this as simple as I can. Number one, you need to find resources from experts. So check out Juggernaut Fitness. Check out Renaissance Periodization. Check out Dr. Mike Isretel, Chad Wesley Smith, um, Lane Norton, um, Silent Mike, Alan Thrall, 
any of these guys, there's, there's plenty more than that too, but any of those guys are going to teach you a lot about programming, about technique, about mindset, about fatigue management, all the things you sort of need to know to do well. That's the first thing I would say. They're all on YouTube. It's all free. You don't have to pay for anything. They do have other things you can buy that they sell, but they have so much good information that's free. Start there is the first thing I'd say. Second of all, learn the compound lifts. Learn bench, dead, and squat. Learn them. They are technical movements that require technical precision. That technical precision will keep you safe. It will keep the activity repeatable, and it actually is the best way to maximize the load. Okay? So, uh, and build exercises around them. The basic way to start is start uh, with a compound lift and then build three to four exercises called accessory lifts behind that. Please look up these terms. There's a million you can choose from. That's a very basic way to program. Find your split, which is how many days a week and how you organize that training. Um, you can pay for people to do the split for you. You can look up splits online that are free. Again, you don't have to pay for any of this stuff if you just want to look it up. But um, if you do, you can get really customized content, I think is what I would say. Do I invest at all? Uh, I have a 401k. I think I've got like a Roth IRA. Um, is this something that interests you? No, it does not. And are you waiting for a city kickboxing IPO? Yeah, I guess I am, huh? But no, I'm not, I'm not big into that kind of a thing. BC hitting me up. Ooh, UFC will have limited attendance at three-card Fight Island stint at the Etihad Arena in uh, in Fight Island. That's interesting. Hmm. Okay, that's cool. No different than anybody else, I suppose. Also, I bet that's probably going to be better than what they've been doing in Texas. I'm not a fan of those shows, you know. And I know Showtime did one, you know, with uh, with uh, what you call it, um, Tank Davis. It's fine. I mean, it's certainly in compliance with local government. What are you going to say? But me personally, I'm like, eh. you know, no one's really wearing a mask. Everyone's screaming. You know, yesterday was the worst day for COVID deaths in this country since the whole pandemic. It's like, I'm not the biggest fan of the whole thing. What are you going to do? Uh, okay. Gilbert Burns recently said that Khabib would be his toughest fight at 170. Thoughts? Yeah, that might be true. There's no real way to know how much his strength would translate up a weight class. Probably pretty well, but, you know. Let's let's see how Gilbert does against Kamaru and then maybe Colby and before we can really say that that's true, but... Um, certainly there's a reason to think that that might be the case. Faraz Ahabi, who shouts to Faraz, he's a beast, said on his live chat that he rewatched Diaz McGregor 2, okay, and saw that Connor was running from Nate at some point, and that should be a 10-8 round for Diaz. Which round, though? Which round does he say that in? I'd have to see his comments, and I'd have to see the round. You know, but is Faraz right? You know, no one's perfect. No one gets everything right. But is Faraz always worth hearing out? Yes, Faraz is always worth hearing out, even if I disagree sometimes. Because he is that smart, that good. Okay, which one fighter will have the largest rise in stock? 
interpret stock however you may see fit after the upcoming three event super week Ooh, good question well it could have been Kamzat um, or Leon Edwards I'm tempted to say that the winner of Hooker versus um, Chandler would be that one but what if Poirier knocks out McGregor maybe you think that's unlikely but like let's just say I mean MMA's fucking crazy right what if Poirier knocks out McGregor? Like viciously KOs him, you know? Wouldn't that tr- wouldn't that just transform him? Don't you think? I mean not completely, but on a pretty substantial level. So, if Connor wins, I'm sure it would improve his stock to become champion assuming that the belt is on the line, but it wouldn't like radically alter it. If Chandler beats Hooker, that's big. Hooker beats Chandler, that's big. Let me just look up those cards here for just a second, just to be on the safe side. I do feel like if Poirier wins, and he wins like in an authoritative way, that would be huge for his career. Um, look at everything else on that 257 card, nothing before that. What about Kiesa versus Magni? See, they're sitting at 8 and 9 in the ranking, so the winner gets something out of it, but is that transformative in the same way? Probably not. There's nothing else in that card that stands out as particularly transformative. Holloway versus Cater. Cater's a big one. Cater beats Holloway, and again, especially does it very impressively. That would be a big jump for him, don't you think? Beating the former champion in that weight class and the the one who um, has a claim to being one of the, the better featherweights, if not the best featherweight ever. Um, again, that's probably Jose Aldo, but you know, certainly uh, Holloway held his own there as a very decorated, longstanding champion. That would be huge. So he's on that list as well. So those are my, my top three. I would say if Poirier wins, that's a big one. If um, if Chandler or Hooker wins, you know, and again, not controversially, but authoritatively, that's big. Or Cater over Holloway. Holloway beats Cater. It's not that it doesn't mean anything. It would mean a lot. But he's sort of expected to be the best guy in that division, maybe not named Volkanovsky. So it, it would be less less big for him. Luke, are you into firearms? Do you own any? I don't own any only because it's a pain in the ass here. I guess the, the, the laws have changed since I've been here. But in general, getting a firearm here is a pain in the ass. I mean, um, yes, I took my wife on our first date was to a gun range. So, But here's the thing. I'm not into, like, gun culture. Like, you see all these MMA fighters and shit, you know? Jiu-Jitsu guys, too. They're always on the range and they're doing tactical training. I'm not really into that kind of a thing. I got most of that out of my system when I was in the military, you know, you start firing Mark 19 grenade launchers that where your the grenades are on a belt. It's sort of a belt fed butterfly trigger, you know, and you're just watching thook, 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 thook. grenades get slung out into the atmosphere. You tend to, <laughs> for me, it was like, okay, I can sort of check it off the list. Uh, I'm also for, you know, what I think what firearm enthusiasts would consider to be uh, restrictive gun laws. I am absolutely in favor of that. I don't make any apologies for it. Um, but like, do I enjoy in a regulated safe atmosphere? Um, do I enjoy shooting firearms and learning about them? Do I like, you know, some of the more modular aspects of the AR 15? I do, but I tend to be more of the, uh, long range precision, slow day, you know, taking your time with a shot kind of a thing versus 
pulling out the pistol and I'm running through an obstacle course. That shit doesn't interest me. I'm much more interested in the in the finer details of long range marksmanship. Um, but I do love I do love firearms in that way. Um, which would you like to see most for Masvidal? Wonder Boy? No. Colby or Connor? Second or third? We've seen what happens with a Wonder Boy fight. Maybe, maybe the rematch would be different. Certainly there's a, way, there's a reason to think that that might be the case. Uh, but Colby's a freshman. I mean, how, how do you not want to see Jorge versus Colby? How do you not want to see that? You know, you, I, I don't understand that. I, I would imagine you would want to see that on a pretty substantial level. So the Connor fight, I mean, would just be amazing. But yeah, I think my top choice is probably going to be Colby for that one. All right, this person writes, uh, Schaub downplayed COVID, got COVID. Boy, y'all love to bash Brendan Schaub to me. That is amazing. <laughs> y'all got some kind of hang-up with this dude that you want me to have too. I don't know why, but okay. Schaub downplayed COVID, got COVID, criticized the government for the lockdowns, and then received a 22K loan, completely forgiven, to, play, to pay employees, all the while he brags about how wealthy he is. The rest of the country received $600. Either he is lying about how rich he is, or is just exploiting the system. I saw that there were a lot of people who were, um, well, I, you know, first of all, I have no problems whatsoever with Bloody Elbow and Trent Reins. I think it's Rainsmith, Rainsmith. I don't know if I mispronounced his name. Um, putting together a list of who has taken uh, PPP loans um, or, you know, grants, depending on how it, it all turns out in terms of the forgiveness level. I don't have any problem with that. That should be public information. That's fine. And you saw a bunch of actors on it took some, um, first round management took some, there's a, a bunch of gyms took some, uh, a, a pretty substantial one, I think from, um, Javier Mendez. Um, I don't know what is supposed to be controversial about that. I know that there, there was an argument that was made that like a lot of these guys have real, you know, Horatio Alger up from the bootstraps, take care of yourself kind of attitudes. And here they are taking money from the government. What it's like, maybe I'm missing something here. All of their livelihoods were badly impacted. I don't know the individual specifics of everyone. Let's assume that no one took money based on documentation that was fraudulent. Okay, so like, unless you're claiming that this money is from fraud, which I am not, why would they want to take it? The, the various governments, state to state, instituted lockdowns that shut down all but essential businesses for some time. They're... Uh, was a slow reopening in pockets in certain parts of the country. But if you were a gym owner, or I know Shaw made a substantial amount of his uh, income through touring, through comedy acts, uh, I, and again, I don't know exactly how what the 22K went to. I'd have to talk to him. I don't know. Again, I'm assuming it's not fraud. Um, they should get money. I mean, here is the problem with the way we did lockdowns. The argument is not, that they should not get money. The argument is that we did not give enough money. If you are going to lock down someone's business, a restaurant, a movie theater, the government, particularly if there's a, and these are really affected businesses, right? Because there is at least some data to suggest that indoor dining is particularly bad for you or, you know, sitting in a movie theater where everyone coughing up COVID, probably not the best idea. They've been really, really hurt. Okay. If you are going to shut them down, yes, they should be paid to be closed. We have the money to do it. It's a choice that we are not saving movie theaters. It is a choice that we are not saving bars and restaurants. 
We were just asking them to figure it the fuck out. Or maybe they're luck- lucky to an extent or whatever you want to call it. And they're in a state with somewhat permissive laws about what they can do. And they're trying to do their best to stay in business. Like, dude, the argument is not that people took money. The argument is we didn't give enough of it out. Uh, And these are not normal economic circumstances. These are not people competing in an open market. This is a terribly fucked up market. With the government imposing serious restrictions, on, or at least for a time anyway... On what you could and could not do. Dude, the argument is not that they should not have gotten money. We didn't give enough of it out. We're still not giving enough of it out. It's a huge problem. It's a huge problem. It is a policy choice. It is a choice that we are making. Congress fucking adjourned uh, today. And, you know, I know they put out $600 checks. We'll see what happens with the 2000 You know, I hope that these... Uh, I hope that the Biden administration gets a move on that. I don't know that they will. I guess we'll see. But that 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 is the kind of thing we should be doing. $2,000 checks for individuals, uh, particularly those with children. Um, and we should be helping businesses in this country stay afloat. We should be having a much better vaccine effort guided at the federal level. And we should be rounding the fucking corner on this. I am not going to shame people and businesses for taking money in extraordinary circumstances that has affected their livelihood or the health of the business itself. Maybe Shab has you know, significant financial reserves personally, but um, whatever business that the, the money was uh, awarded to uh, was damaged. Uh, again, the particulars I don't know, but unless it's fraud, like just straight up fraud, illegal fraud, I'm of the belief that Onnit probably deserved to get money. You know, I'm of the belief that first round management deserve to get money uh, or whatever the case. Like just go to especially those gyms. They deserve to get that money and then some. 150 grand that they gave to Javier Mendez probably isn't even close to enough. I mean, the guy lives in um, Northern California, insanely expensive real estate. He had to shut down like they couldn't do fuck all in that gym. I mean, that's incredibly damaging for people's livelihood. Pay them. Pay them. And if you had a business where you can't make the wage, you could put you could come off your own pockets because you're rich, but that's not how businesses should work. The government should fucking pay you. I don't I don't see what's I don't I didn't buy that there was hypocrisy there. Sorry. Not for not for any of those folks. And there's a lot of those folks in that list I don't want to particularly care for. Doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what you care for personally. What matters is what's fair and what's right. You're gonna shut people down and you have the money to pay them, fucking pay them. Simple as that. that you, know, you know how many problems that would have solved in this country if our leaders had elected to take on uh, choices like that? How much simpler it would have been this whole time and less divisive? Look, who would win in a fight, Jay or the co-host of Morning Combat? Uh, Brian's a lot bigger. Jay, Jay's got some spunk. As y'all saw in that video, but probably Brian. Are you a fan of Children of Bodom? Um, I the answer is I'd be lying if I said I was a huge fan. I've gotten into them more recently, but not enough to be like, yeah. But yes, obviously the uh, as, you, as you write here, thoughts of the lead singer and guitarist virtuoso. 
Alexi uh, Lyo. I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Die at the age of 41. I'm obviously tragic. <laughs> Did you see John Schaefer of the band Iced Earth got outed by fans to the FBI? I saw a little bit of that. Wasn't there somebody else too from some metal band that, you know, super MAGA guy? I'm not sure. The dudes from uh, Slayer are MAGA guys, right? Isn't that something, something to be said about that? Uh, what do you think the ratio is of MMA fighters who have a counter-striking style that is the direct result of their traditional martial arts influences versus fighters that just don't like getting hit so they gain their style by trying to be as comfortable as possible during sparring? That's a great question. I would imagine that the majority of uh, MMA fighters that are going to be the latter, a lot of them just simply do not have traditional martial arts backgrounds or very, very minimal ones that did not have any lasting impact on their um, sensibilities about how they want to compete. So I would say it's probably much more the latter. But, you know, obviously a big one would be like a, a Wonder Boy. I think to an extent, is, does Sanhagen have any traditional background? I think he might have a little bit of one. So maybe that might be a borderline case. Um, but, you know, then you got guys like Anthony Pettis who have Taekwondo backgrounds and they just have a totally fucking... Insane style. Question about Chase Young. Yes, he is awesome. Are there any ones that are like super thumbed up here? Would love to know what you think of the Aljo versus Yon fight. Should have happened already, but I don't remember anyone really breaking it down to begin with. Yeah, this is an interesting one. To me, it's going to be... Uh, Aljo and Sterling can do this with a very smart, disciplined game plan. Which is to say, if you look at Aljamain, excuse me, if you look at um, uh, Jan's takedown defense and scrambling, it is absurdly good. He might get taken down, which is to say they might pick him up and sit him on his rear, but he gets up fast and he breaks contact and fights the hands very quickly. He is hard to keep down and maintain any kind of control over. And of course, it looks bad, it's draining, you know, for the opponent to like go through that kind of a thing. So what is Aljo's options? Well, I don't think you can just totally abandon the ground. I tend to think his best work happens there. But he also has the ability to fight long. Front kicks, a great jab, a great jab with lateral movement. I really feel like Aljo's, if, if the jab is not working, he's going to have some problems. Conversely, if he's really able to maintain distance or, you know, teeps or whatever, and the jab and other things like that, that's a very, very winnable fight for him, provided he can really stick to that. You know, It's hard to win a fight off your jab in MMA. Of course, you don't, you don't just use the jab. It, it combines with many other details, but as the centerpiece, as the focus, as the real linchpin of your game, you know, the second fight with Koscheck in St. Pierre, I think, uh, was like that. I think, I think that's right. The one in Montreal that blew up Koscheck's face. GSP was just working the jab, just absolutely firing it over and over and over again. And it disrupted the rhythm of Koscheck and it, it hurt him over time. It, it broke his face and it maintained distance and it just did so many impressive, important things for St. Pierre. It was such a great use of the jab. Um, you know, something like that ish, I think he would have to do and he could. Conversely, if. Uh, if Jan could get inside and really tear up the legs or the body or slow down the movement 
you know, I think of Aljo, he would be in trouble. So he he has to get close enough to land with combinations to do his best work, and some of those involve kicking range, um, without being wrapped up. And so I think, uh, um, you know, tricking Aljo, using his lateral movement against him, getting inside of the jab range, those are going to be pretty critical considerations. And then clinch breaking and scrambling. Um, anything good here? In regards to the Garcia versus Campbell fight, Garcia seemed to constantly take the lead inside foot position, even when the outside foot position was available. Was this his strategy? Well, I would say more that Campbell was very diligent about taking the outside foot position. So it was a question of who was really actively seeking it. Um... Because I, I think he wanted his straight or his cross to really have an impact there. Whereas um, with with Garcia, he had the ability to go to the body with his lead hand. And then, of course, you don't mind traditionally giving up inside position if you're going to go to the jab. And so that was a big part of – well, I won't say the jab was a big part. But he, he was – those are ready weapons that I think he was actively exploiting. And so um, in that particular sense uh, – not that big a sacrifice, whereas Campbell really wanted. I mean, that was what dropped him, right, was he went low and then high, and he did it with the cross hand. All right, let's see. Uh, any other MMA questions? Because I've been over a bunch of other stuff. Bob Dylan fan, sort of. Are you allowed to lift in your front yard during curfew? Luckily, it's too cold for me to find out. Um, worst weightlifting injury you sustained <coughs> I tore my labrum doing decline bench had to get surgery on it it was pretty fucking bad Jesus, all kinds of questions about the capital. You can skip all that. Oh, here we go. We'll end on this. Following the election results, wondering how the Ali Act would affect the product of the UFC and other promotions put out. Cheers, boys. I mean, I don't know exactly what kind of legislative push or priority it's going to have, given that there's going to be these committee realignments and restaffing that have to happen and um, you know, continuing resolutions and, and whatnot. But... Uh, this is an interesting question that folks need to ask themselves. It's one that I wrestle with all the time. If you want the Ali Act in MMA, you want a scenario where you are going to bring to bear, in many ways, <clears throat> boxing's architecture in order to have the protections and freedoms for the athletes to have the leverage that they need to have and then the purses that they need to have. It would take time for all that to realign, but over time it would get, you know, probably somewhere close-ish, okay? Um, I don't know that I want that. Uh, I'm not saying that I don't. It's something I wrestle with. So you might ask me tomorrow and I might feel differently, but here's what I mean. What would be better? 
to have, I mean, I want boxing paydays. I don't know that I want boxing. One of the great things that UFC enjoys is that their interests are very aligned with the consumers in terms of what they want. Right? What they want to produce is, I mean, these are, these are fight fans themselves. There's a direct alignment. But the problem is the fighters simply have no say. They have no leverage. They have nothing really to protect them to get what they're supposed to be getting. And that doesn't seem like a very workable long-term or fair solution either, considering what they are sacrificing in the process. Now, is the answer a union? Maybe. Certainly a union would be better than what we have now. There would be a pretty significant bump in pay among a series of other protections. But because there would be no free agency, um, some of the mechanisms to really get you closer to that 50%, that competitive marketplace, are missing. So how much would it get raised? 30 35%, something like that? That would still keep you well short. But if you were able to get a bump in pay and pay structure, if you were able to get you know, some of the money from the television rights, if you were able to get better pay-per-view points, right? Um, is that enough to say that's a better arrangement where you're giving something back to the fighters, you're giving them control, you're forcing them and the UFC to then negotiate with them legally, right? Uh, versus let's just take the architecture of boxing and get these guys these huge paydays, again, relatively speaking for that upper tier. Uh, but now you have all these, you've inherited all these other structural problems. I don't know that I'm a fan of that. Uh, but I'm also not a fan of them not getting 50%. And maybe the only way to get them to 50% is to do the other side of things. It's a really, really difficult problem to navigate. But it will be interesting to see because the UFC lobbied hard. They lobbied hard to keep the Ali Act uh, dead in Congress. And uh, it worked. It worked. It worked very well. I don't know what uh, appetite Representative Mark Wayne Mullen, who was a true Trump guy, if ever there was one, he was the original sponsor of this. The guy fought three times in, in MMA and professionally, and then became um, you know, later on became a congressman. I've, I've had him on my show. He's a he's a great guy. Obviously, we don't agree on much politically, but certainly um, he's an interesting figure to to talk to. I don't know what the plan is with that and to reintroduce it and get it to move through committee and then to the floor and then blah blah blah. But you know, nobody paid attention to the fact that again under different legislative circumstances, but the Rodchenkov Act, which criminalized doping not for athletes but for people who facilitate it. They're putting motherfuckers in jail now. That just breezed through Congress on a bipartisan basis, no problem. With this different administration and different folks pushing things through committee and making it to the floor potentially, uh, and I'm sure Biden would have a willingness um, you know, to sign legislation like that, could, be, could get interesting. Could get interesting. All right, do hit me up on email, lukethomasnews at gmail.com. Uh, next week... It'll be probably be mostly sports. Okay, folks, so, you know, don't get your panties in a bunch, please. All right? You know, you didn't want to hear my opinion. Just go and not listen to my opinion. It's okay. It won't hurt my feelings. Um, we're back tomorrow, 11 a.m. in the East, live, morning combat, me and BC. It's the last weekend without MMA for a little while because... This weekend is going to be quiet, and then the one after that is going to be loud. It is, uh, it's going to be huge. So let's get ready. Let's get ready to do this kind of thing. It should be a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for watching. I really appreciate it. Until next time, stay frosty, bitches.